Let's open to Psalm 139. This is a psalm that we'll be returning to as we go through the psalms again and again. There's just so much here. Some of this is great. The big sweeping doctrines that we did last week of his, uh, the Lord's omniscience. This week it is his omnipresence. Uh, and that's just a, a, a smattering. I mean, there are so many other things in here uh, that we will deal with over our length of the study of psalms in the coming Coming years, well, we won't be in the Psalms every week, we're going to come back and forth to them. So if you're able, would you stand with me? And today we'll be dealing with verses 7 through 12, but I'm going to read the entire psalm, uh, just because I like it, okay? <laughs> Lord, we pray that your spirit would come upon us, just fill us, Lord, as we read these marvelous words, these words filled with your care and knowledge of us You're calling unto us. Might our hearts be reassured and strengthened that there's nowhere we can go from your care and love. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. It's for the choir director of Psalm of David. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou dost know when I sit down and when I rise up. Thou dost understand my thoughts from afar. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down, and art intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, thou dost know it all. Thou hast enclosed me behind and before, and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from thy spirit? Where can I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there thy hand will lead me, and thy right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will not be night, even the darkness is not dark to thee, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to thee. For thou dost form my inward parts, thou dost weave me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Thine eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are thy thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. O that thou would slay the wicked, O God! Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. I do not hate those who hate thee, O Lord, and do I not loathe those who rise up against thee? I hate them with the utmost hatred, They have become my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Let's keep your finger there. And turn over to the prophet Amos. 
Now, I'm giving you plenty of time because not everybody knows where Amos is. Uh, The fifth chapter of Amos. Amos is right there after Joel and right before Obadiah. As you go there, I, I remember traveling to the Soviet Union when it was still considered the Soviet Union. And I was fortunate enough to go there twice while it was still strictly a communist nation. And uh, once after the, the fall of communism when it was uh, uh, a chaotic nation, we'll put it that way. Um, and, and one of the things that struck me is that there, were all, there was always somebody around us. Now, it was clear that we were foreigners uh, just from our dress and the way and our countenance and the way we, we walked around. Um, and and it, it's interesting, you, you had a guide that went with you, the translator, and then you had somebody else that went with you. And we, we asked the translator, and they said, oh, they're here, just here in, in case you need them. Uh, no, no, we didn't need them. They were there to make sure they were watching us. Um, in, in the hotels, if you go and, and you come up to your floor, there's a little old lady, and, and there are always these... That's how they get full employment. They have these little ladies who sit around. And they take your key when you leave the room. And then when you show up, they give you the key again. So you never left the hotel with the key in your pocket. And um, those little old Russian ladies are tough, I'll tell you what. Because I tried to walk out one time with my key, and she came after me. Uh, and then, of course, we're in the room. And, and there, my, my, the guy I was, I was rooming with on the trip. And we made a comment in the room that, boy... We're missing this or that. I forget exactly what it was. It wasn't very important, but we said, well, you know, in America we would have those things, but I guess we don't get them in the Soviet Union. When we came back at the end of the day, those things were in the room. I don't know. Just providence, I guess. <laughs> and then when, when we would go out and attempt to interact with, with the people of the, of the Soviet Union there, uh, they would do so uh, off to the side. I mean, they were kind of interested in speaking with us as foreigners, especially Americans, but they didn't want to be seen with us, and there was always somebody watching us, okay? Now, that's good or bad. Uh, I, I think it's bad. Uh, but remember, God is always watching us as well, okay? There is no time, as we looked at last week, even, even though we might be, there might be a satellite listening in on us from the NSA today, Okay, and tracking you as you go to your car. Uh, yeah, there's Bo Emerson. He went to church again. We're going to watch that down. Okay, um, uh, God always knows. There's no place you can go. There's nothing you can do. Nothing you can say. Nothing you can think. There is nothing that is hidden from Him. And and we talked a little bit last week that that can be very frightening, or it can be very comforting. Okay. Think you're going into some place dangerous. You're going into some situation that you don't know what's going to happen. Do you know who's already in that situation? Do you know who's already in that room? It is your Heavenly Father because there's nowhere you can go to be out of his care. Now, these big concepts that are laid out for us here in Psalm 139 in these these passages, the first from last week is omniscience. God knows everything about everything. Okay, that pretty much covers what? Everything. 
Okay? There's nothing. What's in your pocket? Oh, God knows. Okay? <laughs> All the fuzz and, and things and, uh, you know, gum wrappers and whatever is there. The chocolate bar that melted. God knows that. It's all in there. He knows everything about everything. And it's not just that God is outside of time. He sees ahead of time. Because time is for us. It is not for him. It's not that he simply understands everything so great that nothing is beyond his grasp to understand it, but God is also able to see, to know, control, and providentially guide everything that takes place because he is everywhere at every moment. That is his omnipresence. Okay? So he knows everything about everything because he is everywhere all the time. You think, I'm lost. I can't get away from him. Right. You can't. And David, instead of saying, uh, you know, he's he's asking kind of rhetorical questions here. And instead of this being a burden to him, that God is watching over his shoulder all the time and there's no place he can go to get away from him, he's rejoicing in this fact. He is saying, Lord, if I go up there, you're there. If I go down there, you're there. If I go all the way over there, you're there. If I go all the way over there, you're there. He says, this is great. Now, remember in verse 6, in, in, in attempting to grasp his, the knowledge that God has of everything, David finally throws up his hands and says, it's too wonderful for me. I just can't, I can't attain it. I can't grasp it. And then he begins to ask these questions about God, which we're, we're going to get to in a minute. But, but we have to look. I, I, I want to go to Amos, the fifth chapter of Amos. And we're going to read a little bit there. For those who love and trust the Lord, it is awesome is such an overused word, but it is awesome. Uh, It is incomprehensible, but it is comforting. Now, for those who are attempting to resist the Lord, they don't have the same comfort, okay, because they can't get away from God. You've heard people, maybe you were one of them, who have tried to run from God. Oh, I ran from God for years until he found me. It wasn't like he didn't know where you were. He was like, well, you can go there. I wouldn't advise it, but you can go there. But I'm going to, you know, tag along with you because not only am I with you, I'm already where you want to go. Well, for those who are outside of God, it is very scary. Amos Amos 5, verse 4. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me that you may live. Now remember, Amos, there's just, there's almost no good news in Amos. Okay? It's all bad for these people. They have been disobedient. They've done stupid, stupid things. And Amos is communicating God's judgment upon them. But every once in a while, there's this little bit of hope. Just, just a tiny window. Thus says the house of the Lord, seek me that you may live. Here's a tiny window of hope. Okay? But do not resort to Bethel, do not come to Gilgal, nor cross to Beersheba, for Gilgal will certainly go into captivity, Bethel will come to trouble. Seek the Lord that you may live. Don't go to a place. Why? Because I don't dwell in a house made by hands. Don't go to a place. You can't go to Gilgal, you can't go to Bethel, Beersheba, those places are not where I am. You can't escape me. Seek the Lord that you may live, lest he break forth like a fire, O house of Joseph, and it consume with none to quench it for Bethel. For those who turn justice into wormwood and cast righteousness down to the earth. 
He who made the Pleiades and Orion and changes deep darkness into morning. Those are constellations and, you know, those, the Lord who placed those stars in their place. And not only does he place them, he does what to the stars? Names them, okay? And changes deep darkness into morning, who also darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out onto the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. It is he who flashes forth with destruction upon the strong, so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks with integrity. Therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor and exact a tribute of grain from them, though you have built houses of well-hewn stone, you will not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, yet you will not drink their wine. For I know your transgressions are many and your sins are great. Well, how could he know that? I did them in secret. (laughs) You can't get away from him. Okay. You who distress the righteous and accept brides and turn aside the poor in the gate. Therefore, at such a time, the prudent person keeps silent, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And thus may the Lord God of hosts be with you, just as you have said. Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gates. Perhaps the Lord God of hosts may be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. You can't go somewhere and do something in secret. And, and the, the sins that they were doing here, it, 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 Amos is addressing, largely centered around injustice, actions. They were coming to the gate, and the rich guy would get to the gate at, at before the, the court appearance, because that's where they had court, and he'd have a conversation with the judge. And then the, and the rich guy's got, let's say, he's got 200 sheep, and the poor guy's got three, and guess who's going to win in the gate? Because injustice is reigning, the rich guy, and they're going to take the poor guy's sheep and add it to his 200, and he's going to be left with nothing. And, it's, and, and Amos is saying, the Lord says, I see these things. I see that whisper in the judge's ear. I see how you are attempting to manipulate things, and you are affecting people and destroying them for your own gain. And turn over to chapter 9 now of Amos. And he warns them there is no hiding place for those who do not repent. Chapter 9, verse 1. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar, and he said, Smite the capitals so that the threshold will shake. Break them on the heads of them all. Then I will slay the rest of them with the sword. They will not have a fugitive who will flee or a refuge who will escape. Now, remember verse 2. We're going to come back to it later. Though they dig into Sheol, from there shall my hand take them. And though they ascend to heaven, from there I will bring down to them. Remember, that comes pretty much like Psalm 39. Where can I go from your presence? Okay. And though they hide in the summit of, of Carmel, I will search them out and take them from there. And though they conceal themselves from my sight on the floor of the sea, from there I will command the serpent and it will bite them. He can't find me down here at the bottom of the ocean. Okay, nobody can find me down here. Except this serpent who the Lord said, go and get him. He thinks he's hiding from me and go and eat him. And though they go into captivity before their enemies, from there I will command the sword that it slay them. And I will set my eyes against them for evil and not for good. There's no place they can go. And, and these people think they can get away from God. And he's speaking through the prophet Amos and he's saying, you can't. You cannot run from me. There is no way you, nowhere that you can go. 
Okay? Now, if you kept your finger in Psalm 139, turn over to Acts 17. Remember, in Psalm 139, David is taking what we'll call God's perfections, and he is highlighting them. First perfection was omniscience. He knows everything. Second perfection in verses 7 through 12 is his omnipresence. He is everywhere. He knows everything about everything all the time. He is everywhere all the time. Nowhere is out of his reach and his presence. We may not like the fact that we can't get away from God, but it is especially comforting because the Lord is especially present with his children. Okay? He watches us. He cares for us. And, and can we say that God is more present with us? Great theologians like me say he's especially present. Okay? I, I don't know how else to describe it. It's, it's not as if he's not present with the non-believer. He is especially present with us. Okay? And God will always be wherever we are going. I hope if you get sick of me saying that, great. Okay? But that's just the way it is. So at the particular doctrine of omnipresence of God is also considered to be uh, the great theological term, God's ubiquity. Okay? Now, when was the last time you used the word ubiquity in a sentence? Uh, I, I was trying to think of that, <laughs> and, and I went back to seminary. And there we are in seminary, in class, and the professor is going on and on about ubiquity. And I looked at the guy sitting next to me, and I said, what's ubiquity? And he goes, I don't know. (laughs) Future leaders of the church, there we are. (laughs) Finally, the professor saw that there were enough blank looks. It's just not a word that is used, but it deals with his ability to be everywhere. He is ubiquitous. He is everywhere, which is part of the infiniteness of God. You cannot contain him. If he is infinite, he has no beginning, he has no end, he has no limit, he has no bottom, he has no right, no left. He is just everywhere all the time, knows about everything. Unbounded with respect to time and place and space. So not only is he everywhere in creation, he is everywhere in the sustaining of all things, uh, in his providence, supporting, sustaining, he upholds all things by the power, by his power. They consist in him. He provides for them. Okay? He brings the rain on the just and the unjust. And this is all summed up in this statement that Stephen uses, or that, I'm sorry, that, that I'll read it. Uh, verse 27. <laughs> 27 and 28 of chapter 17. Stephen's much earlier. I don't want you to think I, I missed that one. Um, Verse 27 of chapter 17 of Acts. That they should seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. And even some of your poets have said, for we also are his offspring. We live, we move, we exist. Where? In him. Now, the Greek here is this word in. We, we don't you kind of think, uh, well, I'm in the building, right? I'm in the sanctuary. I'm in the pulpit. Uh, I'm in my jacket, something like that. This Greek word carries way more um, emphasis on being in. It's like being in a swimming pool in the deep end 
where your feet cannot touch the bottom, your head is not out of the water, you are encompassed all around, and there's not a bit of you that is dry. That's what it means. We live and exist in God. There is nowhere in our lives where we can escape him. Okay? There is nowhere we can go. He is not there. Back to Psalm 139. The attribute of God's omnipresence is laid out for us here, verses 7 through 12. And we're going to look at a couple other places where it is made clear to us in particular. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Of course, not his, his gracious presence. We're never out of his grace. But um, his, his essential presence. And, and, and really, the Hebrew here talks about, equates God's presence with his face. Remember a couple weeks ago we said that the word was like a wrestler, a wrestling hold where they grab the guy by the neck and and you can't get away from it. Or the knife that goes under the accused's throat so he has to look his accuser in the face. This is what it means here. Where can I go from your face, O Lord? You can't get away from it. His face is always there. It it looks upon us. It is before us. There's nowhere we, we can flee. Now He goes on to enumerate these different places where he attempts to flee, so to speak. If I go to heaven, you're there. Of course, heaven's the Lord is there. That's his abode. His throne is there. Um, well, his, the, uh, the glory of his robe fills the temple. I mean, all those things are there. This is God's habitation. So he says, well, I can't get away from you there. What if I go to the other place? What if I go down and make my bed in Sheol? Okay, Sheol is the Hebrew for hell. Um, he says, you're there. Now, this is the place of the, the wicked people, the apostates, all the bad guys. They're, they're down there. All those who have been judged by the Lord. Is God there? Well, if he's omnipresent, is he omnipresent except for hell? Well, then he's not omnipresent. He is there sustaining their punishment, sustaining their being, pouring out his wrath upon their, their consciousness, pouring out his, their wrath upon these, uh, these individuals who were there, and, and he is in charge of the punishment that is inflicted upon them. The thing that makes hell so terrible is that God's in charge. We think, well, aren't the, isn't Satan in charge? Really? God's in charge of everything. God is everywhere. He's pouring out punishment upon those who are there. And that, remember I mentioned, remember Amos chapter 9 verse 2. That kind of sustains that as well. So the psalmist says wherever he went, he continued to be confronted with God. <coughs> God is everywhere. In, Sheol, in heaven, no place we can go. Job 26, Sheol is naked before God. It's naked before God. It's like you can't hide anything. Even down in the depths of hell, you cannot hide. His presence is everywhere. It's God's personal control because of his personal presence. Now, if I take the wings of the morning, and and the whole point of this is if he tries to get away from God by going as far away as the wings of the morning, what happens in the morning? What, What comes up in the morning? The sun, as far as the east. And then he says, if I go as far as this way. Remember Jonah? The Lord said, Jonah, I want you to go over there. And so Jonah went over there. (laughs) And the Lord sent a big fish. Now, this uh, yesterday I was at Presbytery and there was uh, an examination of a candidate. And somebody said, you you believe in Jonah and the whale? 
He says, well, technically it was a big fish. So that, that, gave, that, that tells you what it was. And I looked at, at one of my buddies. I said, I think the Hebrew says big honking fish. I think that's what it says. Okay? He says, I can't get away from you. Like Jonah, I can't run from you. The, the eyes of the Lord and his presence are there. How about darkness? Can the God who created light be foiled by darkness? You know, you go in the room and you're playing hide and seek. Or what's, what's the game? Uh, sardines. Okay, where, where if I find you, then I have to hide with you, and the last person into the closet with us is, is it, or, or something like that. It's like, there's, there's no darkness to God. He created light. I mean, you walk into a pitch black, you go to the cathedral cabins, to the end of the place, and you think, this is as dark as it can get, and I can hide here. No, because God is, there's no sun in heaven, because the glory of God is there, provides all the light. We can't escape him. But David is not just talking about these things in the abstract. Charles Spurgeon talks about these and tries to make them into into things that we can grasp. Spurgeon says, That which often favors the escape of a pursued criminal and the retreat of a beaten army will do me no kindness in fleeing from God. Man thinks darkness is great. Man takes these things and says, I can hide. And, And Spurgeon says, no, you can't. For there is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. No hypocritical mask or disguise can save any person or action from appearing in a true light before God. Secret haunts of sin are as open before God as the most open and barefaced villainies. Ooh, ooh. What you do in secret this week? God knows it in the same way that what you did in the open. And, and see, this is what David takes, and he takes this, this doctrine, and he, he looks at it in, in verse 10 of Psalm 139. Even there thy hand will lead me, and thy right hand will what? Lay hold of me. Lay hold of me. It says, I can't get away from you. Not only is it your presence, but it's your right hand. Now, David is writing as a believer, and, and knowing the Lord, and that right hand is the right hand of comfort and sus- sustaining grace and mercy in his life. He says, your hand's going to hold me. I know that. Now, another passage uh, we're not going to go to, but turn to uh, Jeremiah 23. And while you're going there, let me talk about Isaiah 66. This is the passage that Stephen quotes. I had Stephen on my mind. Uh, Stephen quotes this in his defense and his critique of the, the Pharisees that were about to have him stoned. And he says uh, the, the, uh, what we read earlier. The Lord doesn't, doesn't dwell in a temple made by hands. Okay, he's here with us. He is everywhere. We go to Jeremiah 23, and outside of Psalm 139, this is probably the best passage that deals with God's omnipresence. The fact that he is everywhere. And Jeremiah is asking a couple rhetorical questions here. Uh, So it's not as if he doesn't know. He's making it clear, uh, as we see, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 23. Am I a God who is near, declares the Lord, and not a God far off? Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? So you have these questions, and it's like, well, 
What's the answer? Well, he, he, you know, the answer is clear from these questions, but, but as we'll see, it, it, so often the Lord has to ask us questions so that we come to this conclusion with the answer. He's got the answer. He wants us to come to the answer. So God is a God who is close. God is a God who is far off. He not only observes persons and things in heaven, which may be thought close to him at hand, these things, but persons and things that are far off. Now, what would be far off to us? Well, in our world, things on the other side of the globe, okay? Does God not, is God not there at the same time that he is there? Does he not observe what is going on in Australia, at the same time that he's aware of what's going on in Huntsville, of course he is. He is a God far off. He is a God near. He is present with them. He is present with us. Okay? Can I hide in secret places that the Lord will not know about? No, that is foolish. Okay? Supposing that the Lord is limited to the confines of heaven, uh, which is not uncommon. Some people think, well, God is sitting up there, and he's just watching us. He got it all, got the ball rolling, and now he sits there and waits for it to all come to a conclusion. He is far off. No. He is not just far off. His presence is not just in heaven. It is here. In, he lives within his church. He lives within believers. And to think of that. Here you have a God who has all power, all authority. He's created everything. He knows everything. And what else does he know? He knows me. He knows my secrets. He knows my thoughts. He knows what I'm going to do. And where I'm going to go tomorrow, he's already there. He's already there. Well, one of the problems was, as Jeremiah is writing here, is that there are a lot of gods in the Old Testament, in the peoples, not just in, in, you know, there's one God for the people of God, but all these other people have gods. And really, wars were sometimes fought, our God is better than your God. So if we beat you, then our God is stronger than you. Okay? So you had these gods, who gods, little g, that the people were, in a sense, manipulating and saying, hey, lead us to the destruction of our enemies. Okay? Instead of trusting in the Heavenly Father to lead them, other, country, other nations were trusting in their little gods, so they were having this conflict. Now, who wants a god that you can manipulate? Okay. Who wants a God where you can go and dictate to that God what he should do for you? Now we pray, but the Lord already knows what we need. Okay. So the problem comes when we begin to think that I can manipulate the Heavenly Father into doing my bidding. And that's just not, it's just not going to go. Why? Because he's got a plan. My bidding, where I want to go, he's already there. Where am I going to go? He is already there. And it is dangerous to think that I can manipulate him into doing what I want. That's just an impossibility. Okay, it is an impossibility. Because who wants a God who looks like me? It just doesn't work. Proverbs chapter 5 says, For a man's way are in full view of the Lord. He examines all his path. Solomon is using that particularly... The, the, the context there in, in that reminding us that God is already there is dealing with adultery. 
And Solomon says, the guy who's involved in adultery, the Lord knows how, how you're being secretive. He knows what you're doing, he, and you can't hide from them. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on both the wicked and the good, Proverbs 15. Nowhere can we go to escape the presence of the Lord. And we speak of a God who pursues us. Okay, as if we could run away, but he's, he's saying, you know, you really can't get away from me. And though we try, and often we try to find the things that, that our hearts long for, and we don't go to God to find them, we go out into the world to find them. Francis Thompson wrote a poem. It's called The Hound of Heaven. I'm going to read a little bit to you. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him. Down the arches of the years I fled him, down the labyrinth ways of my own mind, and in the midst of tears I hid from him and under running laughter. But vested hopes I sped and shot, precipitated adown titanic glooms of chasm fears from those strong feet that followed, followed after. But with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic insistency they beat, and a voice be more insistent than the feet. All things betray thee. Who betrayest me? That's just how it starts. And he, he's kind of setting the tone. Let, I'm trying to get away from God. But there's nowhere that I can go. And then it ends in this, with this. Such is what is to be the pulp so bitter. How shall taste the rind? I dimly guess what time in midst confounds. Yet ever and anon a trumpet sounds from the hid battlements of eternity. Those shaken mists a space and settle, then round the half-glimpsed turrets slowly washed again. But not ere him who summeth I first have seen, enwound with glooming robes, purpureal, cypress-crowned. His name I know, and what his trumpet saith, whether man's heart or life it be that yield thee harvest, must thy harvest fields be dunged with rotten death. Now that long pursuit comes at hand the brute. That voice is round me like a bursting sea, and is thy earth so marred, shattered, and shard on shard? Lo, all things fly thee, for thou fliest me. Strange, piteous, futile thing, wherefore should any set thee love apart? Seeing none, but I make such of naught, he said, and human love needs human meriting. How hast thou merited of all man's clotted clay the dingiest clot? Alack! Thou knowest not how little worthy of any love thou art. Whom wilt thou find to love ignoble thee? Save me, save only me. All which I took from thee I didst but take, not for thy harms, but just that thou might seekest in my arms. All which thy child's mistake fancies are lost, I have stored for thee at home. Rise, clasp my hand, and come, halts by me that footfall. In my gloom, after all, shade of his hand, outstretched caressingly, ah, fondest, blindest, weakest I am, he whom thou seekest, thou dravest love from thee who dravest me. This is a poem that Thompson said, this was my life. I went into the world and I thought I could find what my heart so desperately sought. 
But again and again, there was the Lord pursuing me. That's why he calls it the hound of heaven. The Lord pursued me. He was there wherever I went, in the midst of my sin, in the midst of my search for the things that would fulfill me and satisfy me. I was faced again and again with the fact that that satisfaction could only be found in our Heavenly Father. The true desires of your heart can only be realized when you rest in the arms of the one you cannot escape. Let's pray. Lord, many of us have run from you throughout our lives. Thought we could find happiness in in many places. There you were, hounding us with your grace, hounding us with what was right, hounding us with your mercy until the day you grabbed hold of us and breathed into us life. And even today, Lord, as believers, we might be trying to get away from you. There might be things in our lives that we don't think you're paying attention to. We think we can hide from you, attitudes, words, actions, whatever they may be. But yet you are there. It is this pursuing love that you have for us. That you pursue us. That you come after us. That you grab hold of us and draw us unto yourself. And, and there we are before your face and we cannot get away from it. Why would we want to run from you? For the desires of our heart are really found in your presence. Lord, as we perhaps struggle with these things, perhaps there are issues in our own lives that just today have come to the surface and and we've realized we cannot hide them from you. We lay them before you. What will you have us do with these things, Lord? You call us to confess our sin for you are faithful to forgive. You call us to realize that your presence wherever we go is for our safety and our security to guide us, that we might walk in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Come upon us, Lord, with your grace and your mercy, that we might embrace and enjoy and rejoice in your presence wherever we are. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.